Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. The United States government is coming apart at the seams. Let's start with Hunter Biden, the esteemed super smart, according to his father, son of the president of the United States. And formerly, of course, the son of the vice president of the United States, who had special responsibility for Ukraine, a matter which may be of more and more and more significance. Hunter Biden struck a sweetheart deal, which Joe Biden's Department of Justice blessed, but the judge threw it out in the court today. It was thrown out because in a little noticed sub-sub-sub clause in the agreement reached between the defense and the Department of Justice, clemency, immunity from further prosecution, on matters surrounding with any federal investigation underway would be granted to Hunter Biden in exchange for pleading guilty to gun and tax charges. Gun and tax charges sufficiently serious that would put most Americans behind bars, but were not to put him behind bars. The judge, noticing this tiny little clause in the detail, threw the whole thing out because, of course, the feds are currently investigating Hunter Biden on very much more serious charges than tax and possession of a firearm, which he had improperly obtained by not telling the authorities of his crack cocaine addiction. I'm not making any of this up. This is the presidential household we are talking about. The feds are investigating not just Hunter Biden, but the big guy, which we can now openly state to have been Joe Biden, the then vice president of the United States. Why do I dwell on this? Not because I take schadenfreude at the travails of the presidential son. Such things can happen to any father. And a father's love for his son will be unconditional whatever he has done. I'm actually not interested in Hunter Biden, except in as much as he has so obviously received special presidential son treatment under the US injustice system. But I am interested in the big guy, and so should you be. Because the labyrinthian corruption that clearly existed, clearly I say now, between the Biden crime family and the oligarchs and their government in Kiev cannot be separated from the decision to drag us right to the precipice of World War III with a nuclear-armed superpower in the Russian Federation. Because, ponder this, if the walls of Kiev and its regime were to tumble down, if the books were to be fully opened, Not just the presidential family would be exposed as up to the neck in the filthiest of corruption with one of the dirtiest regimes in the entire world, a point on which everyone used to be in agreement 550 days ago, to be precise. But the sons and daughters of all of the American oligarchy have had their noses in the trough of Ukrainian money. I'm talking the sons of Kerry. I'm talking of the sons of Romney. I'm talking of the sons of Pelosi. I'm talking of all of the political classes, progeny, who inexplicably, in a country that most Americans 
could not identify on a map were drawn like bees to a honeypot or flies to a defecation so that they could get their noses in that filth and kick some of it back. We know that now for sure. The kickback to the big guy was described as 10%. Now 10% of bugger all is bugger all, but 10% of tens of millions is a very great deal of money indeed, especially if you don't declare it to the IRS, especially if you don't declare it to the White House in which you are serving. Joe Biden was vice president to President Barack Obama, about whom we must now speculate, as everyone else is. The odds of drowning, death by drowning, are 12,300 to one. The odds of drowning to death if you are a chef to Barack and Michelle Obama are 100%. He's had two chefs, two of them have drowned. One of them far away in Mexico, the latest in the garden of Barack and Michelle Obama's home, where he worked as their private chef. He was out waterboarding. Oh no, that's what the Americans did in Guantanamo Bay. He was out paddling on a board in the water, in the garden of the former President Barack Obama's house. He went missing, as did the person who was on the paddleboard with him. That person has not yet been identified, but many speculate that it was President Obama himself. When the rescuers found the body of the unfortunate second chef to die by drowning whilst in the employ of Barack Obama, they discovered blunt force injuries to his head and have not been able yet to locate who else was on the board, even though the compound is crawling with Secret Service agents, even though the compound is festooned with security cameras, even though there are G-men literally living in the house. But then that's what happened with the cocaine in the Situation Room of the White House just a week or so ago. So the feds are looking hard for the unfortunate chef's co-paddler, but have not yet been able to identify him. You seeing a pattern here? The chef of the president, the second chef of the president, dies by drowning. There are secret computer files secreted in the house of Hillary Clinton. There are drugs in the house of Joe Biden. There's a male prostitute in the house of Nancy Pelosi. There's all kinds of strange things happening at the top of the American political class. But one of the strangest occurred this very day. The 81-year-old makes Joe Biden look like a young lad. The 81-year-old Mitch McConnell, leader of Congress, leader of the Democratic Party, literally had a mental health episode live on television at a press conference and was led away, hopefully for his sake, for a long and peaceful retirement. But probably not, because they never retire. Joe Biden is running for another four-year term. Nancy Pelosi is still turning up like a bad penny. She's 83. Klaus Schwab is, I think, 88 or 89. George Soros is 93. And yet these people are continuing to run the show in Washington. And worse, 
that show has apparent hegemony in every theater across the so-called Western world. That's right. These people are your leaders, whether you are an American or not. Mitch McConnell, Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Klaus Schwab, George Soros, your government are following them and their diktat to your detriment, indeed, maybe even to your fatal, fatal, disastrous outcome. Let's take a quick look at the brain freeze of Mr. Mitch McConnell. Partisan cooperation and a string of Anything else you want to say? I'm sure it's go back to you. Do you want to say anything else to the press? Let's go back to you. Go ahead, John. Well, this is elder abuse on a grand scale in Technicolor, and it's not a pretty sight, even for someone who hates the American political class as I freely confess, I do. Every day, Joe Biden has an episode not that dissimilar to that one suffered by McConnell. Perhaps, unfortunately, he's never struck dumb. It's what he says that is the problem. This week, he claimed that he had cured cancer as we know it. I'm not making that up. It's easily accessible on the web. He said he'd cured cancer as we know it, which will have come as a surprise to all those who've lost people to cancer during the tenure of Joe Biden and all those who will lose people to cancer until somebody comes along that actually is able to cure cancer as we know it. Why am I dwelling on all these things? Well, because these people have got their finger on the nuclear button. Nancy Pelosi, aged 83 and up to the gills in Jack Daniels, whose husband was cavorting with a male prostitute who then violently assaulted him in Pelosi's own private home, she flew to Taiwan and almost started World War III. Joe Biden goes to bed every night with the nuclear football at the bottom of that bed, which if he pulled the switches would end life on the planet. Unless, of course, we're rescued by the aliens. We now know, at least according to a man who looked and was named rather like an alien, a Mr. Grush, I think, who's a whistleblower, from the department in the US government tasked with researching, investigating unidentified flying objects and their incidents that they have uncovered over many decades, says that biological non-human remains are in the possession of the United States government. Now, this actually might be just a look over there a weather balloon moment to try and distract our attention from the disasters unfolding all around us. Or it might be true. I personally have uh, no dog in the fight. Seems to me unlikely that of all the gin joints in all the worlds that life only walked into ours, that seems extremely unlikely especially given the cod that we're making of life on this planet, seems unlikely to me that we are as good as it gets. Seems unlikely to me that nowhere in this universe or in the multiple verses that undoubtedly occur, 
coming in and out through the black holes, I'll warrant, that no life anywhere has, does, or has ever existed. That seems unlikely to me. On the other hand, if they arrived here, what would they make of the most powerful, richest country in the entire world being ruled by Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and Mitch McConnell, who take their orders from Klaus Schwab and George Soros. I reckon they'd scratch their heads, get back into their flying saucers, and spin away to somewhere with more sense. Let me close this monologue uh, by some reflections on the war. Tomorrow night, I'll be addressing a no to NATO, no to war rally, and we will be looking at the extent to which the war has moved south. We've called it the Odessa Files. There it is there. Great speakers, Dean O'Brien, Patrick Henningsen, Lucy Morgan Edwards, Niall McRae, and yours truly. That starts at 7 p.m. UK time tomorrow night on all my usual platforms. But we're talking about it because Odessa is a very important place. And even in the recent history, occupies an iconic place in the attempted genocide of the Russian-speaking and ethnically Russian population of the eastern part of Ukraine after the US and EU-inspired and financed and armed coup d'etat in Kiev in 2014. The burning to death in the trade union house in Odessa of dozens of people who were merely peacefully protesting their rejection at the overthrow of the elected government in Kiev and the driving of the elected president from the country just ahead of a mob bent on taking his life, had taken refuge in a trade union center. And the fascists, who then as now infest the western part of Ukraine, particularly its inner circles, burned them to death, setting the trade union house on fire. It is exceedingly unlikely that Russia will not seek to take back the indisputably Russian city of Odessa, and in doing so, render landlocked whatever stump Western Ukrainian state remains at the end of this conflict. And if so, undoubtedly will lead to the incorporation of Transnistria, the breakaway republic, broken away from Moldova, broken away in turn from Romania, Transnistria and the entire Black Sea coast will become Russian territory, leaving a landlocked and impoverished Western Ukrainian entity, if at all, on your lap, at your expense, another Kosovo, a garrison, and an unending source of problems and trouble right across Europe, from traffic people, prostitution, drugs, weapons, and organized crime of all kinds. Good luck to you paying for that for the rest of your lives. We've got top, top guests this evening. So let me get to them now. Stay tuned. It's the one and only Larry Johnson coming up next after this short break. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Now in the midst of all of the foregoing and more, Elon Musk has decided to rebrand Twitter as X. The X-Files. So we've asked, will Musk's rebrand of Twitter as X either succeed or fail? You decide. You can vote on my Telegram, t.me forward slash George Galloway. Follow me on Telegram if you haven't already done so. 
uh, on my Twitter or on my X, I suppose, on, my, on the YouTube community poll or on the YouTube stream. Now, my first guest is far too young to be at the top in Washington and far too bright also. He is the one and only Professor Richard Wolf. Always a popular guest on this show. Professor Wolf, uh, welcome back. Before I turn to the economy and the BRICS, let me take the temperature with you on uh, how the American gerontocracy reached the stage that it evidently has reached in these last couple of days. Now, I'm not ageist. How can I be? I'm getting older myself. And I just congratulated Mick Jagger on how he moves at the age of 80. He certainly moves a lot better than Mitch McConnell appears to be moving. What conclusion or observation would you make about that? Well, you know, the United States, like the United Kingdom, is a country whose hegemonic empire is now part of its past. And like the British, the Americans are not going quietly or gracefully or gently into the decline of their particular economic system and their particular uh, empire. And so it is very fitting in its own bizarre way for the oldest amongst us, those who have lived for the longest time in the empire period of the United States to be holding on for dear life, because that really represents what the United States as a society is now doing, trying to hold on to what it once was in the face of the bricks of China, of a changing global South that really is now in the ascendancy in a way that almost everyone can see. And the United States is afraid to embrace the need for change. And so it holds on to the ancient and oldest symbols of what it once was. A metaphor of which Shakespeare himself would have been pleased to draw. Uh, let's turn to the BRICS. Uh, this uh, hegemonic shift uh, that we see in front of us. You see everyone can see it. But I suspect most Americans can't see it. I know that most British people can't see it. Uh, they don't even know that Britain 50 years ago uh, ceased to be uh, a significant player in, in world events, except as the tail of the American dog. And I suspect the same is true in your country too. But in the rest of the world, judging by the queue of people now forming to join the BRICS and the Shanghai Cooperation organization. Everyone else can read the writing on the wall, Professor. Yes. And they and you know, part of my job here as an as a United States uh person, I teach and work here, has been to try to catch up the American population uh to become perhaps a population that can learn from what previous empires could not do to embrace the reality and come to terms with it. It is the judgment of many of us that the war uh, in, the in Ukraine has more to do with the United States' attempt to control, to limit, uh, to contain the People's Republic of China than anything else. Uh, and that it's a hopeless effort. It is not working. It will not work. You're not going to change uh, the tectonic shifts that are going on in the world today. I mean, I, I try to remind people that as we speak, the total GDP of the BRICS is about 33% of world production compared to that of the G7, the United States and its allies, that is about 29%. I mean, they're not even equal anymore. The BRICS have moved ahead they're growing faster than the G7, uh, to say the least. Uh, the writing is on the wall. The direction is crystal clear. And it would be a lot wiser 
and a lot more respectful of human life to stop the war in Ukraine, to stop the killing and destruction of those people there by sitting down and reaching a, a settlement that everyone can live with because the alternative, this attempt to move against the, the process of history is, is simply uh, a, a crazy effort that should be rejected by people who understand finally what the reality is. Now, uh, before we come back to the BRICS and the currency issue, uh, I wondered what your view was about the, on the face of it, extraordinary odyssey of a 100-year-old man. I mean, he makes Mitch McConnell uh, look like a young lad. Uh, Henry Kissinger took a 14-hour flight to Beijing, was treated like a visiting president of the United States rather than a centenarian private citizen. What do you think that trip was all about? Well, I think uh, as someone who has spent a good bit of time studying China, I think what, what the point, at least from the Chinese perspective, was that Henry Kissinger will be remembered for having arranged the trip back in the early 1970s uh, of himself and the then President Nixon to go to China to renew uh, diplomatic relations, to give up on the failed program of isolating China as a way to repress it that did not work. And Kissinger and Nixon knew it. it. All it did was to give the Japanese and the Europeans a privileged access to China because the United States wouldn't uh, do it. This was self, you know, self-destructive as American policy. But the real purpose, I think, was to say Kissinger represents a coming to terms with a rising China. It represented an agreement to work together in the World Trade Organization and in a number of other places to kind of live and let live, you might call it peaceful economic coexistence. And over the subsequent 40 years, the 1980s through our time, the Chinese economy boomed and the United States economy boomed. They didn't destroy each other. They were able to live together and to prosper together. And I think for the Chinese, watching the shift in the United States and Europe towards more and more economic nationalism, the Chinese see that as less of a world to grow in than the one that Nixon and Kissinger opened up. And it was therefore a none too subtle appeal for a new Kissinger to come forward and continue the peaceful coexistence. Because to be honest, it worked even better for China than it did for the United States and, quite, and by quite a, a, a big a difference. It is amazing, uh, given your views and mine on Richard Nixon and Henry Kissinger, that we can look back on their age, at least in that regard, as being an age of greater wisdom in foreign affairs, isn't it? Yep. They were driven in that time to, to make a break. It was so obvious that it wasn't working that we can be hopeful, as I believe uh, Xi Jinping probably was, hopeful that maybe again a more realistic administration uh, in Washington, uh, not out of a notion of global peace, that's more than we can hope for, but out of a notion of the comparative advantage for the United States, uh, warfare with China is a dead end, nuclear war is a complete end, and short of that, you're not going to turn the Chinese around. Mr. Trump's Tariff war didn't do it. Mr. Trump's trade war didn't do it. Uh, the war in Ukraine didn't do it. Uh, Janet Yellen's trip last week didn't do it. I mean, how many times do you have to see that there's a dead end where you are going before someone makes a career out of saying, hmm, the emperor doesn't have any clothes, so let's get him a genuine outfit. 
Now, turning back to the BRICS, Professor, there's uh, great anticipation uh, of the forthcoming BRICS summit. Uh, almost every African leader will be there. It's being held in South Africa. Uh, the members of the BRICS, of course, and the long queue of applicant members, associate members, observer members, and so on. All roads lead to South Africa uh, in August for the BRICS. What do you think substantially will be decided there? I have in mind in particular this, on the face of it, extraordinary proposal to create a BRICS currency, a gold and commodities-backed currency. That would uh, turn the, the apple cart over, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. And I think uh, we are struck here in the United States that among the countries seeking to become members of BRICS are a significant number of Latin American company, uh, countries. And I think that's a sign, if anything, of the weakening ability of the United States to control uh, what is happening. Here's my suggestion. Third world countries, as we used to call them, countries of the global south, which is the preferred term these days, have a new world where before their economic development plans would lead them sooner or later to the West, to the United States, Western Europe, and Japan. They now have, and they've had it now for two or three years, a real alternative. The BRICS is an alternative. China, above all, is an alternative. The Chinese can give you a loan. The Chinese can help you build a railroad. The Chinese can buy what you sell and sell to you what you need. You, you have a, an a opportunity to play off one against the other, uh, the West and the East, the G7 and the BRICS. And this opens up a realm of possibilities, the likes of which the global South hasn't seen uh, for, for literally for centuries. And so it's an incredible time uh, of change in the world that the West and, and even the East cannot control, since it's the majority of the world that is beginning to have real options and introduce them into global uh, politics. And nothing could be more emblematic of that than the turning away from the dollar. There, the decision of Saudi Arabia a few months ago to begin pricing oil in yuan and in other currencies, not just the dollar, was an absolutely crucial turning point, which has expanded ever since then. And with the dollar no longer having the dominant role it once did, and with the emergence now of real alternative currencies and proposals for currencies, Again, the line of change is obvious. The decline of the dollar means the decline of any other currency hoping to replace the dollar, such as the euro or even the Chinese yuan, because it's becoming a multipolar world and all many interests are going to be involved. And the sooner countries can reorganize their strategies and tactics, the more successful they will be. The Chinese are ahead of the Americans. The Americans are ahead of the Europeans. But my, my advice, if anyone wants it, is this train has left the station. It's well on its way. It's going to be the future. And the sooner you come to terms with the changing global currency and everything else, the better off you'll be. And the longer you fight against it, the longer you have to be the old empire desperately trying to hold on, the worse the outcome when it comes will be. And being a Chinese-led train, it's a very high-speed one. And your coffee yeah. doesn't spill, even going at 300 kilometers an hour. Professor Wolf, a bad line but a brilliant interview.
Thank you very much indeed for joining us again on the mother of all talk shows. Will Musk's rebrand of Twitter as X succeed or fail? You can vote right up to the end of the show. Uh, let me take a quick break and then it's your calls right up to the hour. And Larry Johnson, stay tuned. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Well, most people seem to think that Elon Musk's rebrand of Twitter as X will succeed, but not overwhelmingly. Uh, roughly 60-40, which are not the best odds, Mr. Musk, when so much of your fortune is riding on it. Still time. Get your vote in before the end of the show. Here's an email from Tony. How does NATO get out of Ukraine now? It's very clear that Ukrainian armor is being decimated daily. Quite so, Tony. We'll talk with Larry Johnson about that. On line one, though, is Lance in Canada on the Professor Wolf interview. Lance is always worth hearing himself. Welcome, Lance. Man, I uh, I do. I've always enjoyed Professor Wolf. He's one of my favorites. Um, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you? By the grace of God, I'm great, fighting fit. Okay. Moving like and Jagger, like but then I'm thing. considerably younger. Yeah, we have a, our Aboriginal Ojibwe people in Canada have a tradition. And since since I failed to have my George dream, uh, they have a tradition where you go in the woods and you fast and you uh, eventually dream about your spirit animal and it tells you what kind of life you're going to have. So I tried it. I went off into the woods and I fasted and I had my dream. And it uh, turns out my spirit animal is Joseph Borrell. So I don't know what kind of life I'm going to have. But anyway, <laughs> that's just a joke for you. <laughs> um, and, uh, go no, so I think, like, as far as, as far as what's been going on with this China and the money and the, let's call them globalists because that's what people call them. What, I, what I've seen going on that I think people are missing, but you hit the head on the nail last week because you said something very important that people aren't waking up to. All of this trans stuff and Disney putting gay characters into every single um, you know, movie and sacrificing Disney and sacrificing Budweiser, that's all part of a plan to keep people distracted, I believe. Because what the government has been doing, as far as I can tell, is they print their money, they give it to corporations, which is really good because then the corporations can innovate, they can spend money, they can you know manufacture, they can you know, build railroads. But they haven't been doing that. What they've been doing is, and they've also changed the laws to allow a lot of this to happen, is they pump that money into the stock buybacks. They buy, they pump their stock up. And then they take that money and they buy assets like farmland, uh, like houses in Houston. Like, the, say, Houston's a good example because all, a lot of uh, BlackRock is buying thousands and thousands of single-family homes in Houston with that money that the government's printing right. for them. It's kind of a laundering system. So now you can imagine down the line that they will use all the regulators and government weaponization of government administrations to push all the industry towards Houston and then force you to rent homes. So what I think is going to happen is if they fail to sort of subjugate the Ukraine and subjugate Russia, that their backup plan through this, you know, this farmland color in Ireland and Holland and buying houses and printing money their backup plan is to stay rich by sacrificing us. And that's what I think is happening mm-hmm. in the big picture. And I do think that all of this bisexual, transsexual surgery on children, Disney saying we have to put gay characters in, and, and why, like, it is madness that you have to have characters with a sexual orientation in a children's show. That is madness, right? And it obviously upsets Indeed. people. Indeed. And and they also use the abortion. Well, I'll tell you what, Lance. Uh, yeah, of course, uh, abortion. Uh, uh, the Netherlands have just said that children will be allowed to uh, euthanize themselves, or presumably their parents will be allowed to euthanize their children. Something I warned about in Parliament in the 1990s. Uh, the pathway we were on started in Liverpool, ended 
thus far in the Netherlands, but will go, if we allow it, far further, aborting record numbers of children at one end and euthanizing an increasing number at the other end, uh, birth rates falling, population in Western countries falling, uh, making necessary large-scale immigration to fill the gap, immigration which is rejected uh, by a great number of people in the receiving societies, whilst decimating the productive capacity of the donor societies, the people from whom the mass immigration is coming. It is a recipe for a cataclysm, social, political, demographic, economic cataclysm. And this obsession uh, perhaps reached its apogee this week when at the Women's World Cup, the Moroccan women's football team captain was giving a press conference and the man from the BBC for which they've had to apologize outright asked her how many of your teammates are lesbians and what would happen to them if they said so in Morocco, which has, of course, a different attitude and law on these matters than we do in Britain and the United States. There's been a huge backlash against that, not just in Morocco and around the uh, global south, as Professor Wolf put it, but a huge backlash against it in Britain. I tweeted about it and it's gone completely viral. I mean, well over half a million have uh, engaged with it. So the madness, as you call it, the transmania, the LGBTQI++ agenda, the constant shoehorning of quotas. They're not even quotas. If there were quotas, there would be fewer of them. Uh, but shoehorning of, uh, of identity politics groupings into every story, every advertisement in, on television, in cinema, uh, and so on. It's reaching uh, blowback from the majority in the population. Uh, the majority in the population, I firmly believe, and I certainly include myself, have no interest in someone's sexuality, no more than I would allow them to inquire into my own, my own tastes and, and uh, proclivities are my business, and my business and my wife's business, but they're no business of yours, and I don't ask for a pride week for them, neither have I any interest in a person's color or creed or religion or the lack of it. These are matters private to them. And when we mix up the private and the public, we run into serious trouble, and that indeed may be the point. Because, of course, serious trouble between people on grounds of race, gender, sex, orientations, and so on, that's preferable to all of us getting together and making trouble for those who own and control us. Maybe that is the plan. Thanks, Lance. I've been looking out for this interview for a couple of weeks now, but it couldn't have happened on a better night. Washington insider, Beltway insider, former CIA, former Pentagon, Larry Johnson. Who better to ask about what's really going on in the Capitol, in the White House, and above all, in the war than Larry Johnson. Larry, welcome, as always, to the show. Before we go to the war directly, though I believe indirectly, uh, my question does relate to the war. How long can the U.S. public tolerate being led by men 
Not so much because of their age. Mick Jagger is 80 and still moving sylph-like. But men right. whose brains have gone, have melted. Yeah. How long can the U.S. public tolerate this? You know, you know, George, you and I have seen this before. This was the sclerotic last days of the Soviet Union when you had Gromyko and Brezhnev, you know, these uh, empty shells of old men who had fought valiantly in World War II, but they were used up. America, America has become what the Soviet Union was in on so many aspects, both the per persecution of political prisoners, suppress suppression of free speech, and being led by a bunch of doddering idiots. It must be time for new people, Larry. Uh, surely everyone can see that, including their own parties. Yeah, the, the, the state of politics in the United States right now is broken. The dysfunction is so great. Uh, the, the Democrat Party used to be considered a party of the working class of the blue collar folks, uh, but they have abandoned the blue collar folks. And similarly, the Republicans, who have always had a reputation for being with the country club crowd, uh, those who were members of exclusive clubs, they still sort of retain that. And then you have Donald Trump uh, as a populist attracting a broad base of support uh, of the former you know, working class blue collar types. And, and they are shunned and feared. So it is... Uh, you know, what, what you would hope would be like a normal market activity. It's not. Uh, the process is rigged. Uh, it is controlled and structured in such a way that it makes it very difficult for anyone to clear the threshold. And that's why, the, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, a rabid Trump supporter by any measure. But this is why they're trying to destroy Trump, because he's so outside the box of, of the traditional political parties, both Republican and Democrat. Yeah, I mean, both Trump and Kennedy have every reason to want now to smash that box. And the question is, right. can the box afford to allow either or maybe even both of them to win? Oh, no, no. I mean, that's uh, at some point what's going on here in the United States is going to come crashing down. We cannot continue to... Uh, maintain this facade of a house of cards pretending that it's a house of stone. Uh, the Just look at what is happening to government spending. It's in, into the trillions of dollars in the past. We got away with that uh, because we could borrow money from the rest of the world. But now we've managed to alienate the, the majority of the population of the world, if you count it in terms of China, India, uh, Russia, uh, Malaysia, Indonesia, uh, all of a sudden, the United States is facing the possibility of being isolated itself. Its international rules-based order is coming unglued. It, it is no longer going to be able to call the shots and bully other countries as it has over the last 50 years. Absolutely. Now, let's turn directly to the war, Larry, where your uh, great expertise uh, will be uh, valuable. Every time I look at the war map now, it's not the Ukraine that's advancing, it's the Russian forces that are right. breaking through lines, uh, sometimes five and seven kilometers in, in a matter of days. Uh, it's not yet a rout, uh, but it's beginning to look like an accelerating period of substantial advance by the Russians. Has that dawned on the security and intelligence establishment in Washington yet? And if so, what are they going to do about yeah. it? Yeah, not yet. In fact, you've seen sort of a coordinated messaging. Uh, you had Joe Biden, who's demented, Anthony Blinken, who's not, both saying the same thing the other day, that Russia has lost. And that was echoed by one of your uh, own countrymen, uh, Sir Lawrence Friedman, uh, who, who wrote uh, an article stipulating that Russia has lost and Putin has lost. And, you know, I look at I look at all three gentlemen and say, they need to go back to school and learn what the meaning of the word lost is. Because Russia is not losing in terms of uh, casualties. It's not losing in terms of its ability to produce weapon systems, just the opposite. It's outproducing NATO itself, outproducing the United States. 
Uh, it's not languishing in terms of forging new relationships with countries that are outside the sphere of U.S. control, particularly a de facto uh, military and economic alliance with China. So but by whatever definition or measure of losing you want to come up with, the only ones losing are not only Ukraine, but uh, uh, Sir Lawrence let it slip at the end of his article. What terrifies him? And what has most of the West terrified in terms of the political leadership is that when Russia wins this, not if, when Russia wins this, it will represent an existential threat to NATO. NATO will probably not continue to exist as we know it. Now, uh, do you have a view on the thesis I advanced in my monologue and I reprise it in case you didn't hear it, uh, that the war will now move uh, south, as it were, that the advance in the Donbass is uh, now certain right up to the Dnipro, and that might well be the demarcation line, the, the, the parallel, uh, to use a Korean parallel. Uh, and the only thing that remains, perhaps not the only thing, but one thing that remains, of importance to Russia is to liberate, as they would put it, Odessa and take mm -hmm. the coastline and render right. the stump state of Western Ukraine landlocked and make the Black Sea a Russian sea. It seems to me militarily there's an ineluctable logic about that. What do you think? Right. No, no, I agree with you. If you if in the aftermath of the termination of the grain deal, uh, Russia has now effectively embargoed that port. It has bombed it, has made it impossible for normal shipping activity to go on there. And uh, when when this war ends, Russia will be in control of all territory in Ukraine that is to the immediate east of the Dnieper, and it will be in, in, in control and, and retake Odessa. And, and that... Uh, you know, I don't I don't see it. It's not going to Putin and his generals are not going to negotiate away Odessa uh, because it is it's so integral to to Russian history and not just you know, during Soviet times, predating Soviet times. Uh, so uh, it is uh, what, what we have seen, though, is Russia is not tipping off its plans in stark contrast to Ukraine and NATO who kept saying, Boy, there's going to be uh, a grand counteroffensive coming. It's coming soon. It's got maybe in June. May, you know, they kept announcing it in advance. Who does that? Russia doesn't announce anything in advance. It just moves, yeah. it acts. Exactly. Yeah, it's like the the hard man that's always publicly thing. You, if he was that hard, he'd just come up and do it, not publicly yeah. mouth off about <laughs> it uh, all the time. And of course. On, yeah. the, on, on the principle that uh, the boy who cried wolf, uh, there's only so many times, or to mix the metaphor, as Mrs. Thatcher once said, as I don't often say, you can't make a souffle rise twice. Uh, and to call it a spring counteroffensive, a summer counteroffensive, oh no, wait, the real counteroffensive is about to start, you begin to look ridiculous. The West is yeah. looking yeah. ridiculous in this. But it's, it's, it's akin to, you know, a failed Hollywood strategy. You know how Hollywood does it in the, in the winter and early spring. They're announcing the blockbusters that are going to come out. And now oh, it's going to be just the biggest event of the summer. And then more often than not, when the movie shows up, nobody goes because it's a bomb. And that's exactly what has happened with Ukraine. Only in this time, we're not talking about entertainment and something as trivial as a movie. We're talking about the lives of tens of thousands of Ukrainian soldiers. The, the equipment that was supplied by Britain, by France, by Germany, by the United States is being chewed up as if a, an, an iron-eating monster was consuming it just with a you know, ravaging uh, appetite. Uh, taking it all in and, just, and scattering it about the fields of Ukraine. And they have no answer. And what their only answer is they continue to throw men uh, up against 
these Russian lines that are well entrenched, well defended, and they're paying they're paying a terrible terrible price. It's it's really catastrophic the uh, the losses uh, of of human beings, uh, Ukrainian human beings in this case, and the the immoral West, frankly, is enabling this. They're allowing this to go forward because their entire plan consisted of banking on Ukraine as the wedge that they would be able to drive into Russia and cause Russia to split apart. Larry, they're running out of Ukrainians, though. No, I mean, they've already drafted 16-year-olds to 60-year-olds. They're drafting people with physical and even mental disabilities. I saw some video of uh, one unfortunate man uh, with clearly mental abilities being drafted. Uh, They are literally pouncing on people who thought they were in a reserved occupation and dragging them off. Uh, The the richest Ukrainians are to be found, I can assure you, uh, driving the most expensive cars around some of the most uh, shishi parts of Europe, far from the front. They're running out of Ukrainians to feed into the, the, the mincing machine. Oh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. This is, uh, I don't know if you ever recall a movie with Michael Keaton. It was called Multiplicity. But it's premised on the notion that they took yeah. some of his DNA, reproduced him. But with each generation of reproduction, the quality of the individual deteriorated. It became less, not better, until by the third generation, it was severely mentally handicapped. Well, that's what's happening to the Ukrainian army. The army that stood, existed, stood intact in February of 2022, is gone. And what was important about February, even though Ukraine was not a member of NATO, it represented the second largest army in NATO as a de facto member. The United States is number one. Ukraine was number two in terms of troop size. Turkey, number three. If you put the armies of the United States, Turkey, and Ukraine together, that represents 80, easily 80 to 85% of the manpower of all of NATO, which puts all of this into context. And so now what, what's happened is with the deaths of the original senior generals, senior officers, colonels, and followed by the deaths of the, the senior non-commissioned officers, they're being replaced by younger, more inexperienced people at each go-round. They've now on the, this offense represents the third iteration of these troops. Uh, and so now they're going to have to rebuild a fourth army. They don't have the time. They don't have the manpower. They don't have the secure places to do the training. Uh, they are in a death spiral. And it, it is time for the world to come to grips with that. Because once Ukraine collapses, the, the, I think the, the collapse of NATO is uh, the likely next step. Finally, Larry, and I'm grateful for your time. Uh, I'd be the last person to hold a candle for the CIA uh, or for MI6. Uh, and I've been opposed to both of them all of my life, and they to me, if they had ever heard of me. Uh, the, the one thing I never thought about, either of them, was that they were dumb. I assumed that clever people like you were in these agencies. Yeah. If, if that is so, or ever was so, what do they think about? I mean, because presumably they do not. I mean, although they feed lies to the public, I work on the assumption they don't feed lies to their own government. They must be oh. in possession of the kind of intelligence that you have, the kind of publicly available uh, intelligence that sensible people have already grasped. So what is it that they are telling their government and what do they think of their government apparently completely ignoring what they are being told? Well, uh, are you familiar with the cartoon Dilbert? It is is about a, a, a chubby bureaucrat who always is getting into trouble. Unfortunately, most people harbor the image of either the CIA or MI6 as Pierce Brosnan or Sean Connery, but really it's Dilbert. And what it is, is it's a bureaucracy that sends the kinds of incentives 
that people will do stupid things. Uh, something as simple as when the Israeli embassy was bombed in 1992 in Argentina, it was believed that Hezbollah had, was involved with it. Now, you would think if the CIA was smart, they would have said, hey, let's start collecting to find out what we can about Hezbollah, whether they were involved with this. I was down at the embassy I was speaking with the CIA chief of station, and I asked him what they were doing to collect. And he says, well, it's not on our collection plan. This is a plan the bureaucracy puts out a year in advance. And because it wasn't on his collection plan, he wasn't going to collect on it. So my word to you is that attitude, that kind of obtuseness remains within the CIA. It's gotten worse over the years. Right now, any smart CIA officer that tried to write an analytical piece pointing out that there is no way Ukraine can win this and that Russia is not going to allow any other outcome than a Russian victory, that analyst would be run out of the building because the bureaucracy does not want to hear that. So it's become uh, its own sort of choir. It sings to itself, preaches to itself, and uh, without actually having being forced to come to grips with reality. Thank God you're out of it, although it'd be better for the rest yeah. of us if you were still in. Larry Johnson, as always, a brilliant tour de force, tour de horizon. Thank you very much for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Uh, some Patreon comments now, and thanks again, all of you, for supporting me on Patreon. I wouldn't be, frankly, able to uh, feed my kids if it wasn't for the income from Patreon. Uh, some news. Uh, I, I, I made available to my patrons uh, the Killing Kelly film, uh, and it's proven to be hugely uh, popular. So if you subscribe to my Patreon, you can watch uh, free the uh, Killing Kelly documentary, which many have been kind enough to say was truly groundbreaking and historically very significant. But you can also buy it through georgegalloway.shop and on Amazon, but our patrons can watch it anytime uh, they please. David Nimmo, a legend. Thank you, David. Regarding Twitter X, Musk has a sufficiently large public persona to make this work. I hope he fulfills his potential for positive leadership as we move towards multipolarity. I suspect that he will. I'm not entirely sure what all the fuss is about. Who cares whether it's a blue bird or an X that is the logo of Twitter? Musk has already saved Twitter. There's more people on it, watching it for longer, operating on it for longer than ever in the company's history. Of course, a lot of woke advertisers, a lot of Bud Lights uh, and Coots Banks have uh, pissed off uh, elsewhere, but they'll be back because these companies, at the end of the day, cannot ignore an audience, unless it's ours here on the mother of all talk shows. Monica Ragney says, I like the birdie, but I guess he thinks he needed to change so it won't be associated with the shenanigans of the old Twitter, maybe, starting fresh and all that. You might be right, Monica. I'm, I'm taking them to court, as you possibly know, in the Dublin courts where they are officially registered. Uh, and, uh, of course, the crimes against me were committed by the old Twitter. But the company is still the company and they have to make good. And another of the legends, a great supporter of me and of Moats, in the poll, I voted fail. But who cares what he calls it, as long as it's a free speech platform, acknowledges your grievances about being labeled state media and compensated. Thank you, Graham, for that. Now, I don't have time for many uh, closing remarks, uh, but it has been a quite extraordinary day in American politics. British politics is be calmed by and large for the moment, but it's the calm before the storm. I firmly believe that the great victory Farage has scored on the banking issue indicates that under the surface, where the tectonic plates actually are, there is a shift going on. 
France has never been stronger. It's time for him to come back into frontline politics. And if he does, he may be able to rally many alongside and behind him. I firmly believe the public are waiting for that credible leadership, that credible alternative program that I talked about earlier. And the way that people swung in defense of Farage over the banking issue has forced the resignations of people who thought they were all powerful, forced the government itself into demanding the resignations of these people. This shows that all is not what it seems. On the face of it, Britain is a political duopoly, two cheeks of the same arse, and all these ways in which I describe it. But underneath, the political force is gathering for change. It might not be a good change. It might be Farage rather than Galloway, but it will be a change one way or another. Now we, I don't normally do this, party political, but I don't normally do it, but we have launched a demand for a referendum on net zero. Do you know that we were locked in to net zero by 2050, a date which has been brought forward, no, not pushed farther away, but brought forward without a single vote being cast? without a real debate amongst the public, inside the bubble they decided to impoverish and push into a cold penury the mass of the working people of this country without a single vote being cast for it. Now, some people say to me, someone said today, well, it won't be possible to get a referendum on net zero. Well, I'm so old, I remember when it was said that it will not be possible to have a referendum on the European Union. And if we have one, it will not be possible to win it. They're too strong. Well, they're not too strong, is the point I'm making. They're Philbert, not James Bond. And if we can get a referendum here in Britain, on net zero. Other countries will get a referendum on net zero. I am firmly convinced that we are locked into a trajectory which is not only not necessary, but will destroy what remains of economic activity in Western countries such as my own. Now I've gone and cost myself an hour's pay to those that have stayed on beyond the hour. Please forgive me, all of you, for speaking so long, but I feel so strong. I urge you to support our campaign for net zero referendum. You can follow us and learn more about it at Workers Party GB. Until I see you, uh, God willing, on Sunday, at the earlier time now, remember, at 7 p.m. UK time, hoping against hope that notwithstanding high summer, you'll bring another viewer with you. I bid you all a fond good night after what I hope was a show that you enjoyed as much as me.